Hey listeners, it's Alex and Danielle here. We had a little bit of a technical glitch while we were recording the episode that you're about to hear. So wanted to give you all a heads up that the audio quality is not at the standard that we strive for, but we don't think that it will impact your listening experience much at all. Yeah, we're pretty confident that you're still going to enjoy our episode and our terrific guest. We also wanted to drop in a little reminder to join our Patreon. So Patreon has recently announced that they're rolling out free community memberships. So although we do have four excellent, awesome paid membership tiers available to you with different benefits attached to them, You can now also follow our Patreon as a free community member. We're really looking forward to building community uh, across all of you guys in the Partial View listener space. We haven't quite figured out exactly how we want to use this free space yet. So we're totally open to your thoughts. We welcome them. Shoot us an email, reach out on social media, let us know what you want to see. And in the meantime, because I think Patreon hasn't fully rolled this feature out yet, the best way to follow our Patreon as a free member is to visit patreon.com slash partialviewpod on a desktop browser. We did see this working in their app, their mobile app. And go on the top right, click the three dots for the menu icon and click follow. And that should do the trick for you. Yeah, and we'll be following up when we know a little bit more about uh, how we want to use this feature. But for now, enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Danielle Fetter. I'm Alexandra Lee, and we're the co-hosts of Partial View Podcast. Welcome back to Partial View Podcast. Uh, we're having we're having a little bit of a day here today. We're going to um, power through. We are. Because we have the best guest. We have the best guest. We're also fueled by some amazing theater that Danielle and I saw last night, which maybe that's part of just like the vibes today. Maybe that's why the vibes are just a little bit like off center because we're, we're a little, so rocked. We're hungover emotionally from first preview of Merrily We Roll Along It's is it's, what it is. It's fine. It's great. But yeah, we have an incredible guest here today, and we can't wait to chat with him. And I will go ahead and introduce, we are here, you've heard of him, I'm sure, the amazing Michael Kushner of Dear Multi-Hyphenate podcast and book and all the things. Uh, Michael is New York City's leading multi-hyphenate and the executive producer of the the Emmy-nominated series Indoor Boys. In true multi-hyphenate form, his book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business, Conversations, Advice, and Tips from Dear Multi-Hyphenate, was released in the spring of 2023 and published by Routledge Publishing of the Taylor & Francis Group. He served as the Director of Programming for The Green Room 42, providing the space with sold-out programming post-pandemic. He is the owner of Michael Kushner Photography and has been published in People, The New York Times, Vogue, Playbill, and more. He is also the creator of The Dressing Room Project, where he photographs actors prepping for their roles on and off Broadway. Michael has photographed people including Hillary Clinton, Dame Julie Andrews, Patti Lapone, Adina Menzel, and thousands upon thousands of theater, TV, and film artists. And we are so pumped to have you here. So Woo. pumped. 
Well, first of all, how is Merrily? Unbelievable. Oh my God. Do of we want to do we want to go into like what we're enjoying? Because if we can be season. very brief, yes. So yes. <laughs> we we typically do a little bit of an icebreaker of just like what is something that you have been really vibing with and enjoying lately, whether that is theater or a non-struck TV or yes. film project, <laughs> uh, book, whatever case may be. Um, give you a beat to think about that. I think for me and Alex both, it is Merrily We Roll Along because we went to first preview last night. I also saw Nicholas Christopher go on for Sweeney Todd last week. Mm. And that was unbelievable. Awesome. And I, I also was out in LA and I saw Center Theater Group's production of Our Dear Dead Drug Lord by Alexis oh. Shear. Also absolutely incredible. Everyone should read, see, produce that play. Um, Alexis is a French Woody and a New World mm-hmm. kid. Um, we went to camp with Alexis. That is so cool. I'm finally, I have not seen Sweeney yet. I'm fine. I'm literally in the middle of editing. Uh, I photographed Ruthie backstage uh, prepping um, for the top of show and I'm in the middle of editing those literally right now. And um, so I haven't even seen it yet, but I'm seeing it next week. I have tickets for next week. So I think that's the only thing from the last season that I didn't get to see. There's always... I, there's always one or two things where I'm literally like, I try to get everything in before the Tonys just so mm. I can like have a full clear. And I always miss one or two things, but finally I can, I'll, I'm going to be at Sweeney, which is really exciting. Yeah. Sadly, Ruthie was also out when I saw it last week, but yeah. um, she was on vacation. Uh, yeah. And the reason I ended up able to go last week was really because Josh Groban was on vacation, tickets were actually affordable. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but it was great. And also because Nick Christopher, who's usually full-time Pirelli, was on as Sweeney, that meant Raymond J. Lee went on as Pirelli. Love. And that was A+, plus, chef's kiss. So wonderful. I love that so much. That That's sounds so great. Awesome. Is there anything you want to shout out right now, Michael, um, that like, you're enjoying? I'm always going to shout out Titanic. <laughs> Amazing. I haven't I, seen it yet, but I, I need it. to go. I have it's like <sighs> one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Didn't they just it have is, their first year uh, anniversary? Their first anniversary? Yeah, 500 performances, I believe. Oh, wow. It is one of, and I always love a show even more after photographing it and seeing how much like love there is backstage. And that cast loves each other. And the show like is not just on stage, but like that energy is backstage as well. And like it just makes it feel mm. like uh, that they want to be there and knowing that a cast wants to be there and tell that story makes it more exciting to watch but i uh, as for tv i love reality tv shows that are creative so like i love drag race i love i love like home renovation shows and i'm currently watching season 5 of glow up and I love it. And there is, I'm literally in the middle of the last episode and there's a front runner. And if she doesn't win, I'll be so annoyed because then why? When P okay. When Jinx won all-stars, did we watch this? I haven't watched Drag okay. Race, but I've I absorbed a lot through osmosis. Yeah, so I, yeah, don't, I don't know don't, what you're talking about. I don't about. watch, okay. I don't watch reality TV, but like, I know what you're referencing. All right. Danielle, as a friend of mine, you would love Drag Race. I know it feels so like vast. Like it's like too much. There's no, so much history. No, to. I will, I will 
make a good uh, like a good cohesive uh, list of where a to little start syllabus for me which seasons to watch first and then go back into like i'll tell you okay amazing because anyway, i know i would see drinks monsoon who won season five sorry spoiler alert mm-hmm. but competed in all stars winners circle winner season she also won that season which we all that was everywhere you couldn't hide from that on social media we know this but she nailed almost every challenge was in the top for i think almost every challenge and won mostly everything so then the last episode in the lip sync against the other top performer monet exchange she they had to lip sync and monet it was pretty clear that monet did the better lip sync but jinx throughout the entire season won almost everything and there were fans that were like monet should have won she should have won that lip sync and it's like well then why have a season why have a whole season why don't you you watch chopped i don't Because it's like there's three rounds of Chopped and in the final round, the last two people, they they make a point of saying that like the actual winner, it's you're judged again on all three rounds. It isn't like winner of the last round takes it all. It's like considered in totality. Yeah. And that's you have to like obviously be the best at every challenge, but like no, like you're not only competing to like stay like in the competition, but you're staying, you're, those wins have to matter. Like they have to Mm -hmm. matter unless you do something insane that in that last lip sync, that is going to blow everyone's mind that will make you decide. But Jinx won like every freaking episode. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you can't, I don't know when reality is when reality. So I'm hoping that with Gloa that this person, even though she did like, she did okay in the finale because it has to do with like a performance aspect they have to do like they have to do like a talk in front of a big group almost like a ted talk and that requires other skills other than kind of you know has to do what we're talking about but that um has other skills other than just painting faces like doing makeup and um i hope that she still wins because she's absolutely epic and brilliant so We'll see. Anyway, that's what I'm watching. I told Fingers you crossed. Very I'm cool. And I love you. You're literally <laughs> in um, recording. This is like forced you to make that episode of Cliffhanger. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but that was a really smooth segue with the uh, multi-hyphenate skills. Ooh. Thank you so much. Yes. We thought we would start with a really super quick, super high level, like overview of sort of the history of the idea of a multi-hyphenate. And this- For listeners, this is not something we really researched. This is sort of just like our broad strokes observations. Mm -hmm. Um, But thinking about the fact that like within theater specifically, way back in like Elizabethan England, being a multi-hyphenate was the default. Like there wasn't everyone did everything. I mean, even before that, it's it's always been extremely communal and everybody is kind of contributing whatever skills they have. And sometimes that would result in multiple skills being part of, you know, a passion play, a, a, pro- a full production, a touring troupe repertoire, whatever. Absolutely. And then, Alex, you pointed out that some of the hyper specialization we then saw, like in the 20th century, was alongside mm-hmm. the rise of the concept of a celebrity and mm-hmm. like the rise of media. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, speak on that. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, you have to think about it in terms of like once people's professions started being put on display for either, you know, a localized or more, you know, national, international public, you know, once they gain momentum doing sort of one thing, think about, you know, Frank Sinatra, think about Marilyn Monroe, you know, they're known for the one thing and they have momentum to do the one thing. And really, there's no, there was probably really no incentive for them to go and do other things. I mean, I guess Frank Sinatra like also went into acting a bit. They both did, but, but they like it was always felt pushed back. It was, it was fueled, it was fueled by the one thing that they were doing. And I think that this is still like true in some ways. And I'm thinking that there's a lot of like theater names we could drop where people are, you know, really just an actor, but the cost of living has increased so much in the past like 20, 30 years that now you can't rely on momentum from one thing. You're in the grind. You're in the hustle like culture. Diversify your portfolio as it Yeah, were. exactly. And then of course, there's the whole rise of social media and how people have had to take on marketing themselves and, you know, building a brand, building like an LLC, a business alongside the creative work they're doing. And that's like a whole other point that I want to state, but maybe we don't need to like fully talk on. Like it's, it always goes back to capitalism, but we don't need to dive that deep into it. Yeah. But yeah, I think Michael looks like he wants to say something. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm genuinely really interested in hearing you guys talk about this because I, as much as I am writing a you know, I wrote a book on this and mm-hmm. and I'm trying to lead with as much example as I can with this. It's still such a topic that is like, what what is this concept? Which is really mm-hmm. cool. And I love that you talked about, you know, um, Greek theater because- like All of theater history. Yeah. All of theater history, because that was, there were no BFA programs back exactly. then. Like they wrote because they had to share, because they had to tell the news, right? Theater mm-hmm. was the news. That was the way of reflecting society to other people. And in order to do that, I mean, look at Moulin Rouge, right? Even the turn of the century, right? Like when they are um, doing spectacular, spectacular, the beginning, like mm-hmm. like they're, they're like, I'll do this role and I'll do that like yeah. troops very, very pulling things out of a trunk pulling yeah, things out little, of a trunk the little the little theater movement that american the concept of american theater is essentially based on like that was a bunch of people getting together in like remote areas and just putting on a show putting up whatever well it's um, why i it's why i say primarily multi-hyphenates are from and i used to say marginalized communities i now mm-hmm. say um, under-researched communities. Morgan, mm. uh, L. Morgan, L. Morgan Lee and I were talking about this. This was actually on our Broadway Con panel. My live yes, yeah, so I did that Con. rang a bell, and that's yeah, what it's from. And yeah, and I loved that. I loved that. And so I think multi-hyphenates are primarily members of the LGBTQI plus community, Jewish people, um, uh, people of color, I, I uh, artists with disabilities. I really do because cis straight white stories have been told for a pretty long time. And when you look at who are the multi-hyphenates that are in history, they're from marginalized communities or under 
researched communities because they're the ones that have to like, all right, no one's telling my story. I got to figure out how to get this out there. I got to write it. I got to direct it. I got to start it. I got to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, around the seventies, the the word popped up around the seventies. And of course it's a, you know, I think now is a, um, is a really interesting, uh, reflection of capitalism, which is, of course, what you're talking about. Yeah, hustle culture and the rise of of day-to-day living expenses. Like gig economy. Right, Mm -hmm. gig economy. Even if you look back, though, around the 40s, um, Mel Brooks was writing for, oh, God, uh, him and Carl Reiner. Now, I just, it's, I talk about this all the time now, just the um, show slipped my mind, but he and Carl Reiner were writing together, but also uh, performing. Think about the upstairs at the downstairs. Think about even before that, Molly Brown was a mm-hmm. multi right? She was an actor, yeah. activist, and so many different things. And that was in the 20s, 30s. So you got to remember that like, just when you think you put your finger on when it started, there's always the, oh, but before that, oh, but before that, and realize that multi-hyphenating is just a reflection of the simple need and want to tell a story. And that's all it is. It is a, it is, it is an extension of being an artist first and foremost. And what I like to say being a multi-hyphenate is being an artist who has multiple proficiencies, which cross-pollinate to help flourish professional capabilities. Mm-hmm. So that is, and we could talk about what that means because it's, it's very specific, but I think I love that you guys were curious about the, the history of the multi-hyphenate because I think the multi-hyphenate has existed as long as artists have existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think something I've observed also, even just in the last 15 years or so, like oh. as I've come up in my career, is multi-hyphenating beyond theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're saying artist more broadly, and I know there's definitely theater people who have a pottery hobby and then sell some of their pottery or do any number of other non-theatrical but still artistic Mm -hmm. so this is this is interesting that you're saying that about bringing yourself out of the industry i am of the mentality that whenever you identify as a multi-hyphen it should always be in the industry and here's why i say i think that once you start breaking out into other industries then they become side gigs and they mm. become other small businesses. My definition about the multi-hyphenate is art, an artist with multiple proficiencies which cross-pollinate. Mm. So sometimes when we have side things, right, they don't cross-pollinate. And therefore, when someone goes, well, what do you do? And then you go, oh, I'm an actor, photographer, producer, writer, podcaster, educator, dog dad, husband, uh, horseback rider, home demo person, um, and you start listing all these things that take you out of the theater and out of the conversation. I think multi-hyphenating is about cutting the fat. It's figuring out how you tell a specific story or your why statement and using your proficiencies to do so. And cross-pollinating helps you stay focused. So my photography income helps me produce projects I can be in or I'm passionate about, or my acting then helps me open up to a whole new clientele of photography. And therefore, uh, I, a, a new audience of pot, like it all has to cross pollinate. And as soon as you're taken out of the theater industry, doesn't mean you're not multi-talented, doesn't mean you're not multifaceted. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that 
I don't necessarily know if you are a multi-hyphenate. That's so interesting. That's super interesting. I want to push back on part of that, if I may. Please, always. So totally agree with the idea of of the different disciplines, if that's the mm-hmm. word you want to use, different aspects yeah. of a multi-hyphenating career, needing to cross-pollinate and come back to the same why statement. Yeah. But I want to push back on those all needing to be in the theater industry, because I think this Please. is something that I've really worked hard to do for myself because when I was finishing grad school I went to Columbia and got an MFA in dramaturgy obviously theater discipline yeah but part of that degree was retraining how we think about storytelling more broadly Mm -hmm. and the fact that stories and storytelling is not limited even to creative fields that so when I was finishing grad school I was like oh shit I haven't even touched my LinkedIn since before I started grad school Mm -hmm. and now I'm about to be looking for jobs like I need to revisit this and first of all the number one thing I discovered is that LinkedIn is garbage for people that do more than one thing it (laughs) is not built for that Um, or the creative industry in general honestly right right, right. um but that is what really prompted me also to like have to do that work of like thinking through and articulating what tied all of these interests together for me because I obviously have this extensive theater background and a dramaturgy degree but I also I'm very interested in politics and did a training to do communications on political campaigns. I'm also active in like organizing and activism circles around certain things. I have worked in just general like marketing communications for nonprofits that may or may not have been theater nonprofits. And I was like, what ties all of these things together? And I realized it actually is storytelling because storytelling does not is not limited to theater or even film, TV, books, etc. Mm-hmm. It's like a political campaign is telling a story about the candidate. Any marketing campaign, whether it's for like, I don't know, like a toilet paper brand or literally anything is telling a story about that thing to a specific audience for a specific reason at a specific time. And so... I have found when I when I sort of honed in on that and landed on that, that is what has allowed me to that's what's allowed me to let these different things cross pollinate. I think it's also complicated by the fact that people see different industries as being so separate when in reality, the skills you need to succeed in certain industries and like this is not a broad statement, but the skills that you need are often the exact same skills. Um, And I say this because a long time ago, I was talking with a friend who said she would never hire anyone for an admin job who didn't have an admin internship on their resume, but just had retail experience, which I think is frankly bullshit. As someone who has worked in retail and as somebody who has worked in admin, it is the same fucking set of skills you're telling me someone who worked in retail and works at a register can't be a bookkeeper yeah exactly I think that that's a preposterous statement and I think that those skills do transfer like seamlessly it's I I I think that I think that it is complicated to talk about this issue when 
I feel like I'm using the same, I use a lot of the same mindset in my current job, which is in cultural admin, as I did when I was assistant managing a boutique store. I feel like I use a lot of the same project management skills. So I would love if we could get into talking about the development of formal education and how people learn skills that are going to help them, quote unquote, succeed in the theater industry. Yeah. Because I think, as you might be able to tell, Danielle and I have a lot of thoughts on this. I do too. And we'd love to hear your yours. Yeah. I mean, uh, I... I also want to say, like, Danielle, I don't disagree with you oh, at totally. all. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with you. And I just think there is a bigger conversation about proficiencies and skill set. And I write mm-hmm. a, I write about this a lot. Uh, I wrote it's chapter six mm-hmm. in my book, I think. Profic- <laughs> skills versus pro- skills versus proficiencies. Mm-hmm. And I literally think that, like, some skills that you have, right, can become bigger proficiencies. They can be your hyphens. And some you are just skills that affect totally. the other proficiencies. And I and I always say multi-hyphenating is inherently pretty Jewish because you got to ask yourself four questions, right? When you're figuring out right. what your what your hyphen is. Um mm-hmm. one, do I get paid for this? Do I get paid for this thing? So like if I'm looking at like headshots, right? Like the skill of uh editing. Um what do I get paid for? I don't actually get paid to like computer edit and it just like on its own I I I, it it falls under my headshot so I kind of get paid for it well okay um uh does it bring me joy well editing itself doesn't necessarily bring me joy I do it because I the the joy of photography and I love seeing how the final photo looks of course so that's like it does kind of bring me joy um uh is there a paper trail like if you were to google me would it say Michael Kushner editor no, that wouldn't happen. It would say photographer mm-hmm. and then, or my other hyphens. And then do they cross pollinate? Like, would my editing affect the other things? And it's like, yeah. And if we were to look at that on paper, I would say it's like half for each one. So yeah. that's like two out of four, right? Mm-hmm. Is that enough? Is that enough to say, I am an actor, photographer, producer, writer, podcaster, educator, and computer uh, and designer, editor, graphic designer. No, because I'm not a graphic designer. That's, I don't have a company right. that specializes yeah. in that. So I, what the reason why I'm saying this about like bringing it into the theater industry is because I'm not saying that you're, that what we do is not storytelling, but you, the two of you and many other artists have small business brains, right? You approach the world through multi-hyphenating. You always have, you, you know, many Here's the thing is many people don't because they have been trained to do only one thing. So the reason why I say multi-hyphenating, keep, uh, if you, a theater multi-hyphenate, if you branch outside of the industry that doesn't not make you a Mm -hmm. multi-hyphenate, you are multifaceted, you are multi-talented, but maybe you start to become a corporate multi-hyphenate or, or, Mm. or, you know what I mean? There's, there are other things. It doesn't not make you an artist, but I think if we're talking about this very niche specific Mm -hmm. thing about theater making, I think it, again, it boils down to the cutting of the fat aspect. How can you focus on your place in the theater? If you want to be a theater artist, how do you focus on your place in the theater? Again, I don't disagree with you because totally. 
why should you limit yourself? You shouldn't limit yourself to things. But when it comes to being a theatrical multi-hyphenate, I think just because you have so many other pots on the stove that doesn't make you like if you if you if you're cooking a Thanksgiving meal, right? And you have a turkey in the oven and you have sweet potatoes on the stove and you have, well, I, I have my sweet potatoes in the oven, but regardless, um, uh, and you have green beans on, and on, on all the burners are, are complete with a side dish. But one of the burners has like, I don't know, has like, uh, something just for a snack. Does that mean in that moment you are cooking only a Thanksgiving meal? No, mm. it means you're cooking a Thanksgiving meal and you're also making a snack. So mm -hmm. that's multi-hyphenating to me. It's, I am a theater multi-hyphenate, but I also have this on the burner as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Right. So, sure. and, so I'm not, again, not disagreeing with you, but when it comes to cutting the fat and staying focused anyway, speaking of staying focused, you're talking about education. <laughs> um, yeah, we, what are your specific questions? Our specific, so with something we really wanted to talk about is something that comes up often for young theater artists in BFA programs, I think primarily, but like, I would say that there are some BA programs and some schools that also do this is kind of the phrase, if you can see yourself doing anything else besides theater, you should go and do that. And right. I've, yeah. It's like very frustrating, which is really frustrating. And I'm going to say that it was something I never ascribed to, but I heard no. constantly of growing up not. doing theater. I was so determined to double major just to spite everyone that I almost didn't graduate in four years. So <laughs> I feel like having interests and this is different than multi-hyphenating like we were just defining mm -hmm. but having interests outside of theater or seeing yourself able to participate in something other than theater does not mean automatically you should go do that thing it is something that can also cross-pollinate with theater and make you a better more well-rounded artist yeah and and who's to say this is why I talk about like does being an actor, roller skater, knitter make you a multi-hyphenate? I ask my mm -hmm. students this all the time. And they're always like, no. And I go, well, why? And they go, well, and then they start thinking about it. And then I'm like, if you can justify it, then you can justify it. So mm -hmm. like politics, right? Mm -hmm. How are politics needed in theater? Well, look at something like Broadway for Biden. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right? Look, that we need politicians to help us with help the industry with that there are plenty of ways that uh politics something outside of the theater can be a part of the theater and that's why i think it's really important to tell my students that because when you create a small business in the theater it's all about taking something that you think might not have to that might not help another artist but mm -hmm. it does and that's how you stay sort of um exciting and creative and yeah. and so that's you know i i, I feel that multi-hyphenating is all about justification how do you justify being a multi-hyphenate as long as it helps you stay in the umbrella of the theater community i i think then you can bring as much outside inside um and you can bring as much you can bring inside outside but it needs to come back inside 
I think. Yeah. It's it's so uh, so anyway with with that quote of of whatever the fuck that is. Um I feel, If you could see yourself doing anything else, go do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's bullshit. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, uh, he, and it, this is when it comes to like there's a lot of like he on social media about whether or not you need a BFA program, right? It's like, been it's been a debate for years. Like that yeah. there's always going to be as long as these programs exists it's always going to be well should I get a BFA or should I get a BA and it's crazy to me it 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 really it feeds into a larger conversation about like how we are teaching theater and why we are teaching theater and privilege and privilege of course and I just thought it was really interesting when I was thinking about this because like Danielle got an MFA I got an MA and kind of, so I had kind of two sides of the same coin, but on like an MA to PhD track, which is essentially what an MA is for to prepare you for a PhD, you're supposed, to, so you're kind of supposed to go from like the BA, which is well-rounded. It's a comprehensive education. Mm-hmm. You get, you do your gen eds, you get a lot of, you get a liberal arts education. You do your sciences, your math, your your PE, whatever. I don't know. Barnard had a PE requirement. I took dance. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You do that. And then you find out what you want to specialize in and you get your MA. And then in your MA, you find out what you want to specialize in more. And then you go do your PhD for five years. You go further into debt. You're not paid well, but you're specializing super, super well in one thing, one weird ass thing that nobody is going to ever like talk to you about again unless you go back into the system of academia and buy into it and it's it it feels like a total scam um which makes me think that the industry of theater which I feel like is actually in a lot of ways like more practical like there's actually like an end point um what do you mean by end point not like in terms of end point I mean kind of like um what am is I, it a means to tangible. an end? It's more tangible mm. in my mind. It's more tangible. I'm wondering if like the industry of theater and American education as it currently stands actually doesn't quite meld well because of like not even just from like a BA liberal arts perspective, but like then when people are in BFA programs as well, you know, there's the, there's arguments of like, well, they're not getting as many gen eds. Like they don't have to take science and math and like learn about other things. They're not like, like we were saying, it's almost like they're not allowed to multi-hyphenate in BFA programs. So it's like two extremes in my mind. This is why, I think the conversation is really interesting and I am of the mindset of like, okay, well, do you want the BFA experience? Mm -hmm. Do do you want the BFA experience? Do you want it? Then go get it. Mm. But if you are iffy and you are, I don't know, excited about other things, that's okay too. I think there's a lot of people that are sort of like rallying behind like the, the deletion of BFA programs. And I'm a little like, look, my experience, I went to Ithaca. Yeah. I loved it. I, yeah, because I learned about the specialized uh, art of performance, a lot of things that I needed, some things I didn't even know I needed, different forms of um, 
tools and forms and techniques of acting that I am like, I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't go to Ithaca and yeah. the study abroad program. And then my senior year, guess what I was doing? I was cast in the musicals. I was the host of Best of Broadway, WICB. I was a TA and I was on the guest artist committee. What was I doing my senior year? Multi-hyphenating. Yeah. So my biggest thing to students is what can you do? in the programs. Why do you feel you need to, uh, why do you feel you need to apply to 16 to 20 schools? Is it because Mm -hmm. you want to make your hometown proud and you want to get into some program? Is it because it's what all your friends are doing? Or is it because, wow, junior year, they have that amazing study abroad program. And I've always thought about maybe moving to London and I would love to be bi-coastal, but with the UK and New York. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's really exciting to me because where else can I do? I don't want to do just a program in the UK. I'd like to split my time. So, okay, that school makes a lot of sense. Great. And then that narrows it down from 20 schools to maybe five. It's less expensive. You put your focus into it. And that's, that's, and so I'm not against the BFA program. I think Mm -hmm. it suits people. But what I am against is saying that in order to be successful in the industry, you have to go to a BFA program. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I um, also don't, we don't need to, to get into this too much. I, we don't need to get into the ethics of cut programs, but well, that's, that's a whole, that's let's a whole talk about of, it. I mean, that's a whole can of worms, like to, to invite somebody in and say, you're going to specialize for two years, but then we're going to tell you if you can do the thing or not. And then if you can't, you got to like figure out, you're like, you're kind of, I, I am, I mean, I'm sure they don't have zero guidance, but it's kind of like, you're you're taking a huge risk and whether it pays off is i don't have the most popular opinions about yeah. about certain things and i i don't think cut programs are healthy and i yeah. i don't i don't think cut programs should exist mm-hmm. but i do think if we are going to eradicate the cut program which we should mm-hmm. we have to establish a place where honest feedback in a safe way is able to be accepted yeah Mm -hmm. because what i'm noticing from younger artists and this is i teach theater business at at nyu and i'm not talking about my nyu students i'm talking about other students that i've worked with in a in multiple ways the openness to feedback is not it's not there and I'm I'm half like everyone gets a gold star for participating. But what I noticed happens is so many people, go, when they finally get to the city, they go, why didn't anyone tell me this? Yeah. And, it's be- and it's because you weren't open to it. And it's because mm. you actually complained about it and you got that teacher fired. Mm. So there's a, there has to be a fine line of, hey, we're all in this space together. We all want to be better actors, right? I'm paying to be a better actor. So if I suck, tell me. Yeah, I think there needs to be a realignment kind of across the board. And this goes back to, you know, if you can see yourself doing anything else besides theater, you know, go do that. Kind of a realignment in what professors and admin are telling prospective students and current students. And I think that that's actually true for BFA and BA. I think that there's like separate problems that that are 
resulting in this in similar kind of unease yeah I, I i really i really just feel like acting is tough yeah acting is really tough and what we're also doing is we are we are considering acting less and less and less as a part of what is impressive and exciting in the musical theater lexicon yeah that's true when we see shows if you read those comments on social media and it's a performance of someone that is amazing no one is ever talking about the acting beats no one is ever talking Mm. about how grounded they are how dropped in they are how focused they are how ah they sound amazing ah that it is never a like a cohesive like a, a true conversation about that arc the through line the beginning middle and end the the humor the tactics the whatever it is their breath their musculature it's just about whether or not they're fierce enough or fierce you know enough. what <laughs> really niche acting beat it's actually not that niche but like specific acting beat in a specific song my friends and i analyze have analyzed multiple times in the past Which? is whatever glinda does during thank goodness oh yeah <laughs> that is an acting song yeah, I, I would love to ex- to expand the 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 conversation beyond acting though as well in terms of like kind of like letting letting there be room to do more than one thing because I think that designers, dramaturgs, directors, it's it's I mean I I felt it I felt it very much in my BA program. Um, I was at I was at Barnard and I I might have to cut this, but like I felt that I was not very well supported in being a double major. I was expected to just do theater. And then beyond that, they you apply for what your thesis is going to be, senior year, dramaturgy, directing, acting, and they tell you what you're going to do. You don't get to choose. That's weird. I didn't know that about the thesis at Barnard. Uh, yeah, it's it's problematic and they haven't changed it as far as I know. I feel like- I have, I have a question about that a lot though. Of, yeah. Why did you choose to go to that school if that was the case? I'm not saying that I'm not. Yeah. Um, why because, did you Why did you apply? If you knew that was happening, why did because, you? Because I thought that I needed to do something dramaturgy centric when I was 19 and I was transferring to be a dramaturg, which is and, bullshit. And I think that that's what I'm imploring many people, Our yeah. what we went through is to go, research the program go through the years and go is this something that i see a part will i thrive in this environment i i didn't think it was a problem and ended up being a pretty big problem because no one was talking about this it's not your fault it's not your fault you you went because well the school that you went to it's an amazing name and the program's pretty great but does it work for you and i think I think that's what everyone has to understand that the BFA program might not be the right fit for you. And it sure as hell does not mean that you are not going to be on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Like every, like the only common denominator that everyone has on Broadway and in TV and film is not talent. It's drive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you went to community school, community college and you took voice lessons and you you took you downloaded downloaded what am i 94 if you went on youtube and you researched how to sing and that was your education and you went into an audition room and nailed it 
who yeah. the fuck cares? Seriously. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, that, I would, that is it in the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would love to it, use the last couple minutes yeah. quickly to touch on like also super fast, like arts admin. Cause I feel like that gets lost in the conversation of, in a lot of different mm. um, contexts that so many people who work in arts admin as their day job are multi-hyphenate artists outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and something I've encountered is one that internships and apprenticeships at those theaters and arts admin uh, ask you to hyper specialize as well mm-hmm. and often won't consider you or interview you or do anything unless you have prior experience doing that exact thing on your yes, resume. which is so frustrating. Like, and why then, would I go from unpaid job to unpaid job just to do the same thing over and over? It right. made no sense to me, which is why I jumped around and why mm-hmm. I probably couldn't get a job after graduation. And then once you're in an arts admin job, entry level, or sometimes higher than that, I have found, and Alex disagrees with me, but... I have found that often, not always, but often those arts admin jobs seem to expect the same amount of dedication and time commitment and giving of 110% of yourself as acting does or any one discipline in theater tries to and makes it very difficult to continue to pursue additional multi-hyphenate artistic endeavors beyond the day job. I just think that there's a little, there's a lot more nuance and it really is like when I was in DC, lots of people did both. Lots of people, lots of people do do both both here. I'm saying it's not supported and made easy or it depends on where you are. It really depends on where you are, because in my experience, if you go into an entry level job, but you want time off to do like tech or something as a director, they're not going to be very supportive of that. However, if you freelance, if you hustle, if you do a lot of artistic work, and then that's seen to be an asset for your admin work for like a mid-level to senior level position, you can go in and you can negotiate whatever you want. I just want to give a shout out to Barrington Stage. Yeah. Um, Barrington Stage, I worked with their apprentices and interns this summer. Weren't you an acting apprentice there too? I was in 2013. Mm. And- I loved being one in 2013 and I've watched it evolve and change and watched it, see it, see how it is now and how it reflects what the industry is currently demanding and calling for in terms of well-roundedness and Mm. being multi-hyphenates and things like that. And it's just an amazing program. Before Barrington, I had an internship at another theater. And that was one of the craziest experiences I've ever had in my life. I basically, at this theater, I was made to sign. I was cast in two shows. And I don't think I knew I had to do a children's show in advance. Mm. I think I found out when I got there. But I was made to sign a sheet of paper that basically said, you will do everything that we tell you to do. And I was rehearsing for a show and the tech director bursts in the double doors and goes, I need Kushner. And the director was like, he's running a scene right now. And he was like, you want your set built? And I had to go build the set. And I was like, very upset about this. Um, and I'm not a big complainer. And I, I, I do, cause I'm very old school in many ways. I, I was, I'm a child actor. So 
I've been in the industry 23 years. I was raised by hoofers. So I sort of have the pay your dues mentality. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. I do think like you got to just show up in this industry, but I also don't think you need to necessarily pay your dues when it comes to an unsafe environment, when you mm-hmm. feel, oh, when yeah, you feel unsafe, when you feel gaslit and stuff like that. And yeah. when I said to the artistic director, I was like, uh, this is what's happening. And I feel she literally looked at me. I was like, well, sometimes you just got to pay your dues. And I never yeah. felt more alone up until then in my life. And I was like, whoa, there's like two and a half months left of this internship. Oof. And it really was sad, but she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong. But at the same time, what could I have done to make a different experience? Well, I could have advocated for myself much earlier. Um, I would like to know all the details of this in advance. And if I don't, then I'm not signing it, Mm -hmm. you know, or if I had known this, then if I had really researched, maybe message someone, been like, how was your experience? What did you have to do? What was your day-to-day experience like? I wouldn't have applied. But yeah. I did because of the scarcity mentality, right? Oh my yeah. God, yes. And we've you talked know? about this prior on the podcast and how destructive it can be. I got a job. Overall. I have to take it. Yep. Yeah. There won't I, be another one. There will never be another one. And this yeah. was my, you know, I was... I, I, so many things that, you know, whatever, uh, meant that I needed to take it, but did I have to? And you know what? I look back on it now and I'm glad I took it. I learned, I did learn so much and I, I survived it. I stuck it out and I learned a lot about myself and what I do want to do and what I don't want to do. And learning what you don't like and learning what you don't want to do is so valuable. And I would actually say that I had a similar experience, like with my college program that was like, bonkers not treating us well like yeah there there's good things that have come out of that that like I couldn't have anticipated 15 years ago or whatever and we can hold complex conflicting thoughts we can we are we are multifaceted humans exactly and that's the thing it's like also like I think if we strip theaters from theaters cannot become perfectly polished well-oiled machines Mm-hmm. They can be safe spaces. They can become safer spaces. But something that makes theater so wonderful and brilliant is when it is scrappy and, and a little messy. Yeah, it's always going to be a dumpster fire. It's always it, going to be dumpster fire. But some dumpster fires are smaller than others. Some are big and pretty. It's just you. Which one you land on? And some are easily contained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think <laughs> some I, stay in the dumpster. Some stay in the dumpster. <laughs> Right, exactly. And like, no one gets hurt. But, you know, you want it theater, you want to feel a little dangerous, you want to walk out and go, oh, another night we made out alive. That's amazing. You just don't want to be unsafe. You don't want to be unsafe. You don't want to be traumatized. But I think that's also what can't just can't happen to theater in general, whether or not you're training for it, you have to lean into the danger, a safe danger. You, um, I think there's a whole, uh, tradition in theater that is sort of i don't know i think the hoof the hoofer is dying right the yeah the, the g word yeah what what about the 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 um um what did they rename it i the red bucket um because mm. there is the no no the robe the uh, the robe the legacy robe legacy yeah. robe yeah there right we go. but 
you know, like people that have legacy like that, right? Like just like chain smoking outside of the stage door. Mm -hmm. We're losing that. We're losing, we're losing those personalities. Mm. Where are they going? And they, they came out of fighting and survival. You know what I think Mm -hmm. it is? I think it's um, rather than danger, it's just risk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a good way to put it. No one should feel dangerous. No one should, no one should feel harmed. But when it comes to the art and when it comes to entering a room, there should be risk. Yeah. That's what makes acting exciting. And I also think, I think one of my big takeaways from this is that it is sort of like just to bring it full circle. It is sort of that creation of spaces where risk taking is made safe. Those are the rooms and those are the environments where multi-hyphenating is most possible and where it thrives is mm-hmm. I think because it is a risk if you are a trained actor or a trained writer or whatever it is trained in one specific discipline it is a risk to branch out and try something else mm-hmm. yeah. and you need to be made to feel safe and capable and uh supported in taking that risk mm-hmm. and I think that also if you feel that then the statement if you can see yourself doing anything else besides theater that goes out the window yeah because then because that that's a scare tactic that's mm-hmm. essentially what that that's essentially what that phrase is and so then if we can feel like we are all kind of more in it together and taking a risk either at an institution level at a school level at an industry level then we're going to be more accepting of what people are bringing to the table because they're going to feel more comfortable in bringing more. I got to just say, you know, who I have conversations with people all the time about this. No one knows what the hell we're talking about. That's true of a lot of conversations. Yeah. And people don't, a lot of people that think they know what the theater is, they, they don't, they don't know about it. So when I talk to parents with like, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. like, parents about what like I have clients that they're gonna start auditioning for colleges they don't know about this at all they have never Mm -hmm. thought about this once and so you know this episode is there's a whole conversation in here that is just as needed for parents when they're helping Mm -hmm. their kids with the college search because again and we're planning an episode specifically on like higher education yeah 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 yeah. also I gotta say that I don't think parents were as involved when we were applying to college as they are now well mine weren't because I didn't give them a chance to (laughs) because I knew what I was doing and I didn't even I didn't even give them the chance to help me I knew exactly what schools I was going for. Mm. I knew exactly what material I was using. I knew exactly when I was booking them. All I needed was their credit card for their fucking common app and and (laughs) application fees. That's all I needed. Oh, God. And so, like... All I needed was my mom's car for visits. (laughs) It's true. Campus visits. Yeah. It's so true. And and that's the thing about the BFA, the from in my opinion about the BFAs, is that I think that BFA programs are wonderful. But you have to fit when when they're not wonderful is when you don't find the right one that's right for you. Mm-hmm. And and understanding that there are so many other ways to receive higher education in yeah. the theater is really important. So yeah. I support BFA programs, but I also support the journey of figuring out the type of education that is right for you and also support the 
the understanding that you do not need a BFA to be on Broadway. So everyone's happy. Everyone wins. Good night. (laughs) I love that. I think so. I don't know. Danielle, did we solve like being a multi-hyphenate and getting trained in America to to be a multi-hyphenate in theater? Did we solve it? I think so. I think we figured out sort of great the conditions where it can I think, thrive. I love when we solve things. I think surprise, surprise, guess what? Being an artist is hard. Being uh-huh. a human being <laughs> is hard, right? So what does that mean when something is hard? It takes more brain power. It takes more mm-hmm. research. It takes, it's what I talk about in the yeah. studio with headshots, right? Why isn't your headshot working for you? Oh, it's not as specific as it should be. Well, what do you have to do to get it more specific? Oh, that requires asking yourself questions and figuring out what you're doing in auditions and figuring out what you're getting called in for and understanding the patterns. It takes work. Yeah. Guys, everyone listening to this, being in the theater industry is difficult. It takes work and it mm. has to start at an early age. And even yeah. if sometimes multi-hyphenating comes out of necessity for right. like... I just mm-hmm. need more money and this opportunity exists and I'm going to try it. Like, that's great. That's fine. That yeah. is, that's, I'm, that's I human. Sound, I also sound like 80 years old. That's, that's being an adult, but like, right. but like, that's, but that's, like, that's what we're all just kind of like doing. We're just flopping around trying to make sense of everything. It's just really cool to like walk around Broadway con and like see these small businesses that figured yeah. out I how know. to, I love it. How to, uh, fall into a um a theater audience and they you know like and also figure out social media too right like the theater lovers like i Mm -hmm. love the theater lovers so much because they have established a positive and educational yet Mm -hmm. hysterical social media presence and i just love them because they are good people, talented people. I've been in class with Rachel and she is an incredible performer and they're incredible personalities. That to me is the definition of a multi-hyphenate, especially someone that has a a big social media following. Also, also huge definition of multi-hyphenate is is Mel Brooks, right? We also have we also have people like um, Shakina Nafak and uh, oh. Susan Laurie Parks and yes. um, and uh, and so uh, uh, so many wonderful people that aren't just that might not even have a performer in their hyphen. They're different types of mm-hmm. artists that are using their proficiencies to tell stories and to garner an income, and that is a multi-hyphenate to me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm imploring everyone to do. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Totally. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the pod, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so where, much. Last bit. Uh, where can we find you? Where can people find you on the socials? And do you have anything to plug at the moment that you can chat about? Um. What do I? have coming up um what do i have coming up well my 100th episode of dear multi-hyphenate is coming out very Ooh. soon which is very exciting and uh that is going to be a guest tba my book how to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater business is out and so please buy that if you want to learn step-by-step process of how to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater business i also have some other projects i can't i can't right now but i will eventually amazing okay really fun yeah and do you have socials where people can follow you to hear more about them he doesn't yes. know them and if you want to follow me on social media you could follow Say. at the michael kushner on instagram and tiktok and also dear multi-hyphenate on instagram all right thanks guys that was a great conversation hope you enjoyed we had a great time chatting with you 
Yes. Um, the this has been great. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and do not reflect the views of our or our guests, employers, or clients. For more of our opinions and other theater-related content, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and pretty much everywhere else at Partial View Pod. You can also find and support us on Facebook.